I'm sorry we could not be with you last Sunday. We were in Singapore uh, because my second daughter, Victoria, was graduating from her university there. So we were gone for about a week and a half. So uh, we weren't able to be here this past Sunday. But it's good to be back in Indonesia and certainly back right here in church. And so with that, I don't know how long it's been since I preached the last time, one week or two weeks, I don't remember, but if you will recall, we've been in the book of Romans, and today we're going to finish chapter 7. And the verses that we are going to read today, if I'm honest with you, as I always am, but in being honest, these are some difficult verses to read, difficult to understand, difficult to know exactly what Paul is saying and what he's teaching to us. And so many times we, we probably come into this part of Scripture with our own thinking and our, and our own ways of seeing things, and, and it, these words become confusing to us. But honestly speaking, when I'm confused by what I'm reading, and I'm not exactly sure what Paul or, or what John or Peter or even Jesus himself, if I'm not sure what is being taught, it's good to just step back for a moment, take a deep breath, and then reread the scripture and just letting the Bible speak and to let it say what it says. And if there's some disagreement with your heart and what God says, you must come to a, an agreement with what God's word says. Not to be at a disagreement, but just simply let Paul speak and hear what he says and allow his words to be applied to our hearts. We've been going over chapter well, beginning at chapter 4, really, of Romans, and certainly in chapter 6, and now chapter 7, and we will get into chapter 8, but we've talked about sin, and we've talked about how Jesus has dealt with the penalty of sin. He died for us, and His blood cleanses us. Jesus has taken care of the penalty of sin. And then in chapter 6, we learn that Jesus has taken care of the power of sin, that sin should not rule or reign over us anymore, but Christ reigns over us. And as we will get into chapter 8, we're going to learn that Jesus is also going to deal with the presence of sin in our life. Well, today we're still talking about the power of sin. And we're talking about today, in the, as you see in the title of the sermon, we're titling this, Every Christian's Battle. And I didn't want to just put the Christian's battle, but every Christian's battle, including Paul, including your pastor, including everybody that's sitting in the sanctuary, every single Christian goes to battle every single day. And we're going to learn just about what that battle is. So let's turn to Romans chapter 7. I'm going to pick up from verse 14. And read to the end, verse 25. And as I usually do, we're going to break these verses up into four, I'm sorry, into three parts today. So in Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14, and before I forget, would you please stand with me? Every Christian's battle. Here we go. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. 
For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Amen. You may be seated. One of the reasons why it's difficult for Christians to understand what Paul is saying is because Paul is talking a lot about sin and how he falls into sin. Paul's not talking about his previous life before he met Jesus. Everything that he's saying, he's speaking of the present tense. Today, as I live, Paul says, as I'm writing the book of Romans, as I'm writing this, I battle with sin every day. And though I want to obey God and obey His Word, I find myself practicing what I hate, and that is sin and evil. So as we go through these verses today, I just want to read these verses as they are. Not try to make excuses, not say, well, Paul must have been talking about before he got saved. Certainly Paul doesn't sin anymore. Paul would call us a fool if we were to say such a thing. Do you know that when we grow in Christ and we grow in our relationship with Jesus, you will never, spoiler alert, you will never become sinless. However, the more you follow Christ, obey His Word, the more you seek to please Him, the more the Holy Spirit works in you, you will sin less. You're not sinless, but you will sin less as time goes by. But the battle that we are talking about with sin, it's for today, it'll continue tomorrow, and it will continue for the rest of your life while you walk here on the earth. Every Christian's battle. God has made us into a brand new creation. Amen? And as the Bible says, our spirit has now been made alive in Christ. We were dead in our spirit, dead in sin and in trespasses, but He made us alive. We are born again, born of God, born from above. And now, with that new spirit within us, we are now at war with what we call the flesh, that old nature in us. Do you remember I talked about 
When the Bible says that we are to put to death the old man, that old nature, do you remember we talked about that? But just because we die to the old nature doesn't mean the old nature just disappears. It doesn't mean there's no more temptation in life. Of course not. That old nature is still in you. And when you are saved and you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, the old nature and the new spirit are at war every day with each other. This is the battle that we are talking about. And as you live your life in Christ and for Christ, and as you are growing in your Christian faith, it'll lead you to two things. Number one, it'll lead you to appreciate the wonderful grace of God that works in us every single day. But it will also lead you to an awareness of just how sinful you are. The more you grow in your Christian life, the more sin you recognize that's in you. Paul is the same way. Paul, let me just show you real quick something that Paul says three times. And we're going to sort of trace this about Paul. He's going to speak, first of all, in 1 Corinthians. You don't have to turn to this. I just want to show you these three verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. Paul says, in about the year A.D. 56, after he had already been on three missionary journeys, already mature in his faith and in his Christian life, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, I am the least of all the apostles. Yes, those 12 that Jesus appointed. Yes, among them, among the leaders of the church, among the missionaries, I am the least of them all. But then he also says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, about five or seven years after this, he's imprisoned in Rome. And listen to what he says there. He says, I am less than the least of all the saints. So now he's not just talking about the original apostles of Jesus Christ, that I am the least of that group. But seven years later, he now admits, I am less than the least of all the saints, all the Christians. I am the least of them all. And again, now in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, after his imprisonment, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says that Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the chief. The chief of sinners. I'm the champion. I'm the leader. I am the sinner of all sinners. I am the chief. And you might say to yourself, wait a minute, Paul, you, you seem to be going backwards in your life. You seem to be becoming more and more sinful. That's not what it was. The more he knew Jesus, the more he knew how sinful he was. And as he lived his life for Christ, the more humbler he became. It wasn't just that he humbled himself among the leaders, the 12 apostles. And it wasn't that he humbled himself upon all the saints of God. But he also humbled himself by recognizing he still has sin in his life. And if you want to point a finger at somebody who's a sinner, Paul says, point at me. Point at me. I'm not afraid to admit it. I am a sinner still in need of grace and mercy. Paul would enter into this battle from the moment he met Jesus until the day they cut off his head in Rome. And now this is the battle 
we all face. So let's get into this. Every Christian's battle. We are at war with what we call the flesh. Today we're going to break this up into three sections. Number one, we're going to talk about in the battle, we're going to talk about our condition. Number two, our conflict. And number three, our conclusion. So first of all, let's talk about, according to Paul, when we are in this battle, what is our condition? As a Christian, what is our condition? Well, he says in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, meaning I am of the flesh, meaning that that sinful nature is still in me, is still present with me. I am carnal, sold under sin. The law is spiritual. It's spiritual because it comes from God. It originated with Him. And it is holy, it is perfect, it is good. Just as God is holy, perfect, and good. And for the Christian, the law is also spiritual because God takes that law and He writes it upon your heart. We don't have tablets of stone sitting in our house with the Ten Commandments on them. Instead, God has taken His finger by His Spirit and He writes them upon our hearts as Christians. And now our hearts are turned toward God's laws and God's commandments. And we want to do them. We want to follow them. Because from our heart, we love God. And we want to do the things that please Him. Amen? But... Paul says, I am carnal. We are carnal. That though I have a brand new spirit that's alive in Christ, I still have the flesh. I am carnal. We are of the flesh, and even though we died to the old nature, Paul teaches that the old nature doesn't just disappear. It's still with us, and it still tempts us and calls us and pushes, and prods, and pulls us. So many times, we desire to obey God in our hearts. Amen? But how often do our actions become the opposite of what we want? Am I talking to anybody today? You know in your heart what God wants from you, and you want to do what God wants, but how often you don't do the thing you know he wants you to do. Am I talking to anybody today? Yes, Pastor Heath, you're talking to all of us. Amen. There is a battle that's happening between our spirit and our flesh. And every time we fall into sin, it feels like we are still captives. It feels like there's still chains around our feet that we just can't run. We can't soar with the Lord because something keeps dragging us down. Imagine if a biologist or a geneticist was somehow able to take two insects, a butterfly and a spider, and to somehow fuse those two creatures together so that you have one creature, part of it's butterfly, part of it is a spider. Imagine what kind of creature that would be. Part of it wants to be able to fly and soar into the heavens. But the art of other part of it wants to drag down into the cave 
leaves of the mountains, build its web, and have a diet of blood. Can you imagine the struggle that happens within that creature? The only thing you could do with such a creature is to kill it. Well, somehow, some way, maybe perhaps even just mysterious, when sin came into the world, it is as though Satan himself, he fused something about himself, something about his personality into our makeup, into our nature. And because of that, right now as Christians, we want to soar with Christ, but another part is pulling us down into the darkness. The only thing God can do with such a thing is to kill it. And this is what we learn God has indeed done. Let me remind you right now of some good news. Let me ask one more time, and let me make sure you're not just ignoring me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I want you to raise your hand. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say you know what God wants you to do, you know what is right, you know it in your heart and you want to do it, but you end up sinning instead. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, amen. If you didn't put your hand up, hopefully you do by the time we end the sermon. But let me give you some good news, okay? Before we were saved, before God gave us a brand new spirit that's alive in Christ, before that, there was no battle. There was no confrontation. There was no conflict happening inside of us. There was no battle because we just did what we wanted to do. Now, you might have felt bad if you found out your actions hurt somebody. Husbands, if you did something to offend your wife, of course you might say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But generally speaking, before we were saved, we did whatever we wanted to do. And there was no battle. There was no war between the flesh and the spirit. That happened before we were saved. But if you are saved today, and the Spirit of God dwells in you today, you know what I'm talking about when I say that we are at war with that flesh every single day. For those that raised your hands, you raised your hands because you are saved. Do you hear me? Because you are saved. Otherwise, there's no battle. You just go one way, the crooked way, and that's it. So let me end this part one with asking you the question, is the battle happening inside of you? Do you feel that war going on inside of your life? And if you truly say, no, I don't, then I will say to you, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. If you sin in life and you have no regrets and you sort of enjoy the lifestyle of sin, you don't feel that there's a battle going on, then I will say you are probably not saved. You with me? If you're saved, there is a battle. It is every Christian's battle. Number two, the conflict. In the following verses, I want to break these up into four categories. In the conflict, Paul talks, first of all, about a contradiction that happens. A contradiction. Look what he says in verse 15 and also 19. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Again, this is, 
it can be a mysterious thing. And sometimes we don't know why we do what we do. And Paul is saying the same thing. For what I'm doing, I don't understand sometimes. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that is what I practice. Paul is talking about a contradiction in his own life. Wanting to do one thing, but end up doing something different. That's a contradiction. And we all know what Paul is talking about, don't we? We know what this is like. It may be mysterious, but it is true of all of us. How often have you wanted to stop doing something that you hate? Do you know when you come into a relationship with Jesus, you learn not to play around with sin. You learn you better not enjoy sin because all sin wants to do is destroy your life and the people around you. You learn to take it seriously. And taking it a step further, you will learn to hate the sin in your life. And when you look out into the world and you see what sin does to societies, to people's lives, it doesn't cause us to hate people, but we hate the sin that is destroying people's lives. Paul says, I hate this sin, and yet I do it. Have you ever hated that you have a bad temper? Have you ever hated dads when you're at home and the kids are getting too loud and it really drives you crazy? And maybe you yell, you threaten, or you run off to another room to be by yourself. Your kids come to ask you something later and you say, what? Leave me alone. You ever done something like that? Not you guys. Not you dads. This one may have done it. And I hated that about me. Some of you might hate the fact that you love gossiping. You love to hear the scoop on what's going on in people's lives. You love to learn about it. You love to talk about it. You love to spread it around. And you hate the fact that you do that. Are there things in your life that you hate? Paul says the same thing. But he says, listen once again, the evil, the stuff that I hate, I practice it. And that word practice doesn't mean I did it just one time. Practice means I keep on doing it. I keep falling into the same mess over and over again. The thing that I hate, the evil that I do not want to do, that is exactly what I practice. Is Paul talking to anybody today? There's a contradiction in us. And also, number two, there's confession. Confession that Paul makes. He says, verse 16, If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, that it is right, that it is holy, that it is just. Why do I call this confession? Because confession means to agree. Confession means to say the same thing. That's what confession is. Always remember, Paul never lost this in his entire Christian life. And we must never lose this either. It's called 
confession. To agree with God and to say the same thing. What does that mean? It means that at the end of the day, maybe you husbands, maybe your wife asked you something and you lied about it. In fact, I just lied to my wife this morning. Every day my wife comes to me and she'll always say something like, how do these shoes look? How does this sweater look? How do my pants look? And I'm always thinking, Hera, you always look good. No matter what you put on, it always looks good. So this morning while I'm shaving, my wife is coming in and she says, how do my shoes look? And without even looking, I said, they look great. And she said, you're not even looking at me. And I looked at it and I said it again. It looks great. But I lied to my wife because I said something without even knowing what it looked like. Do you know at the end of the day, not even at the end of the day for me, God spoke to me immediately about this, but maybe at the end of the day, you lied to somebody and then God touches your heart and says, hey, you lied today. You spoke in a lie today. Do you know what confession means? It means to agree. Yes, God. Confession also means to say the same thing. So when the Lord says, you lied, confession means, yes, Lord, I have lied. Yes, Lord, I have sinned against you. Paul never lost that confession in his life. And neither should we. Neither should we. But always confess. Do you know in the book of 1 John chapter 1, John says, if, if any of you say, I have not sinned, you're a liar. And you're also calling God a liar. Of course you have sinned. But then John tells us, but if you confess your sin to God, He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. In the battle, when you are doing the things you ought not to do, and the Lord reminds you of it. Don't ignore it. Don't run from it. Don't give excuses. Confess it. Yes, Lord, I offended you today. Yes, God, I did lie. Yes, God, I did cheat. Yes, God, I did have that desire in me. Forgive me. And the Bible promises God is faithful to forgive you when you confess. Don't ever lose that. Number three, Paul talks about in the battle his identity. Verse 17 and 20, Paul says, But now, when I do these things, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Again in verse 20, Now if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now Paul's not making excuses. Paul's not saying, but the devil made me do it. Paul's not doing what Adam did. When God said, Adam, what have you done? Adam said, the woman that you gave to me, she made me do it. Paul is not putting the blame on someone else. Paul knows that he has sinned. And yet, Paul says, when I sin, it's no longer I who do it. Well, then who is it, Paul? Who is it then? Who are you then, really? If it's not you that has sinned, well then who are you, Paul? What are you talking about? I believe what Paul is talking about is who he now is in his spirit. Who are we but the children of the living God? Who are we but born again? Paul is saying, you want to know who I am? I am 
what I say I am in Romans chapter 5, where it says we have been justified by faith, no longer guilty before God. It also says we have found peace with God. We have found grace with God. And no matter what we go through in life, God loves me through all things and at all times. That's who I am. But when I sin, it's because that sin still dwells in me. That sinful nature that's in me. What's Paul saying? Well, he's saying what I think many of us do. I was just talking with a young lady just a few days ago that was sharing with me some of the things that she has done this past year. And they're not good things. And she knows that. And she knows that as a Christian, she should never have been involved with what she got involved with. But when she sort of told me all about it, she's telling me now through tears about what she had done. She then said, but I knew that wasn't me. When I consider what I was doing, that's not me. That's not what I want to do. That's not my desire. That's not me anymore. That's not what I want to be. Have you ever said that before? Have you ever done something stupid or foolish? Have you ever committed a sin? And later when you think about what you've done, you say, what am I doing? That's not me. That's not who I am. That's not what I desire anymore. That's what Paul means. Because who are we now? The children of God. Saved. We've been given eternal life. We have a love inside of us that will never leave nor forsake us. That's who we are. And when we sin, that's in contradiction with who we are inside. It's almost like we have a brand new identity. We are who God says we are. His children. The spirit that God has given to us doesn't sin. That spirit within us is as perfect as God is perfect. That's who we are in the eyes of God. That's why we have peace with Him. That's why we're justified because of the work that Jesus has done and the eternal life that He has given to us. That's what God sees. That's what God calls us. And Paul says, when I sin, it's no longer I that does it. It's that sin that dwells in me. Fourth in the battle, Paul tells us about his hopeless efforts to win. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. No goodness, no power, nothing. For to will is present with me, But how to perform what is good, I do not find. Oh, we know what God wants from us. We know the things that please God in our hearts, in our attitudes, in our actions. We know what God wants, and it's what we also want. But now Paul is saying, but how? How to perform these things, I do not find. I do not find. It's like a Christian who recognizes the sin in their life and they make a list. Here's what I'm going to stop doing. Number one, number two, number three, number four. And every day, I'm going to remind myself, don't do these things. I don't want to do them. 
But what does the Christian do? The very things he wrote down on his list. And so the Christian says, all right, I need more help. I'm going to join the Bible study, which is a good thing. You go to Bible study, and the Christian looks around and figures, wait a minute, there's only about 30 people here at Bible study every week, and yet there's 150 people in church. Oh, that must mean we're the real Christians that go to Bible study. And now that Christian's looking around, judging the other people in church. And pride sets in. And what happens? Number five, pride. Number six, I'm judgmental. I need some more help. I need prayer. So I'm going to join the prayer meeting. It's a good thing. You join prayer meeting, and what happens? You hear about what's happening in other people's lives. People who are requesting prayer because of sickness, because of sin, because of hardship. And the Christian finds, oh, I love hearing these things. I love hearing the scoop about what's happening in Eka's life. Oh, and I love hearing about the failures of Ronald's life. And what happens? Number eight, gossip. And it continues on and on and on. And the Christian decides, I know what I should do, but how, I do not find. How, I do not find. You join the seminars. You go to the seminars that teach a man to be a better husband, the woman to be a better wife, parents to be better parents, Christian to be a better Christian, business person be a better business person. You go to the seminar, you buy the t-shirt, you buy the book and the workbook, and everything's great for the first week, and then what happens after that? Number nine, number 10, number 11, number 12. Sin abounds. And you say to him yourself, no matter what I do, I cannot figure out how to perform what is good. What a battle we are in. What a battle. Number three, we come to our conclusion. What do we conclude from all these things? Verse 21 to 23, I find then a law that evil is present with me the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So in conclusion here, Paul first talks about the law. There are two of them. Law number one is God's law that's written in our hearts, and we know what it is. And the Spirit teaches us of God's ways, and we want to do the things that please God. That's the first law. But then the second law is this, that evil is present with me. A law is a principle. A law is an unchanging thing. Just as God's law doesn't change, so does this law. Evil is present with me. All throughout my Christian life, evil is present with me. And that word to be present, it comes from a word that means to lie beside. Almost like a lion that crouches down, lying aside on the road, waiting in the tall grasses for the victim to come along, for the prey to come. And when they least expect it, the lion comes out and pounces upon its prey and destroys it. 
In the same way, Paul says, here's a law that doesn't change. Evil is always lying aside, just waiting to pounce. When does it do it? In any moment, any moment of time. Sometimes temptation comes when you feel like you are the best Christian around. Sometimes temptation comes when you feel weakened in your body or in your spirit. Sometimes temptation comes when you are afraid. Look what Satan did to Jesus. Do you remember he tempted Jesus in the wilderness when Jesus was weak from fasting and not drinking? When he was weak, the tempter came to tempt him. He would also tempt Jesus when all the people were exalting him and ready to make him the king of Israel, to put a crown on him and usher him into Jerusalem. Jesus, in his pride, could have just swallowed up all that glory, march into Jerusalem, and sit down on the throne. Satan would tempt him to do such a thing. But Jesus knew he came to obey the Father and to die for us. And when Jesus was on the cross, perhaps Satan thought, I can make him afraid of death that is coming. And so he used all those people to challenge Jesus, if you truly are the Son of God, come off of the cross. Show everybody you don't have to die. Get yourself off the cross, and then we'll believe. It was at the moment of weakness, the moment when pride would try to settle into Christ, or when Satan thought he could cause Jesus to be afraid. That's when the enemy attacked. And the same is true for all of us. Do you know a sinner? A sinner will never be surprised by Satan because a sinner is always looking for sin. If you go out into the jungle to look for a tiger, don't be surprised when you find one and he pounces on you. But it's the Christian who is to resist the work of the devil. It's the Christian who needs to learn to run away, to be vigilant, to be watchful. That's who Satan is after. And Paul says evil is with you today, present beside you, just waiting for an opportune time to pounce on your life. In the very beginning of Genesis, when Cain was upset with his brother and with God, and Cain began to have some evil thoughts about his brother. God came to Cain, tried to encourage him, and he said, Cain, you've got to change this about yourself because sin lies at the door, and it wants you. It wants you. And that same warning has gone from generation to generation to generation. And when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean you have no more problems with sin. Satan is out to get you, and he lies in wait for you. But God says you must learn to rule over it. Evil runs, Paul says, through my members. That's my body. And it wars with me against my new spirit. Paul's body, he's talking about from head to foot. His mind, his eyes, his ears, his mouth, his hands, his feet. All my members are subject to sin. That's why you find in the book of Proverbs, like chapter 4, Solomon warning his children, be careful with your mind. Be careful with what you see. Be careful with what you hear and what you speak. Be careful of where you allow your feet to take you. 
We must always be vigilant. And now Paul says, in this battle where evil is always present, in this battle where he often does the things he knows he should not do, he now looks at himself and says, oh, wretched man that I am. Wretched man. I am wretched. That word means to be exhausted from battle. It means someone who goes to battle and suffers so much through it that you're exhausted and you're left to be miserable. You're left feeling like you have been defeated and now you are hopeless. Oh, wretched man that I am. And the sad thing is, many of us, we stop right here. We stop with these words. We say, oh, wretched man. Oh, wretched woman that I am. I can't do anything right. The sin in my life, I know what I should do, but I find myself doing the opposite. I don't know how to do what is good. There's no strength in me. And you come to God like the prodigal son and you say, God, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your daughter. Oh, wretched man that I am. And then eventually, we begin disappearing from these chairs. And then we come and we go, and we come a lot less than normal until eventually we're gone. No more church. No more fellowship with God's people. Why? Because we feel like, oh, wretched man that I am. I am not worthy of Christ. And we walk away. But you notice that's not where Paul stops. That is not where we stop. Paul then asks the question, who, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see the focus here? Before Paul's focus was on how, how can I do this? How can I make these lists and do what's right? How can I change myself? Before it was how, but now it's who can deliver me. When we ask the question how, we make it about us and about what we do. It's about our effort, but now it's about who can deliver me. Who can do this for me? Who means there's someone else that must help me? Who will deliver me? because that's exactly what I need. A deliverer. Someone who is strong when I am weak. One who is strong in the battle and mighty to save. I need someone who always helps me in my time of need. One who runs to my side simply by the call of his name. I need someone who's not touched by the evil that is present with me but someone who is perfect and holy and just and good. And at the same time, someone who knows me and understands me. Someone who knows what it's like to live in this world. I need someone who loves with a love that is patient, a love that is kind and gentle, a love that endures even when I'm losing the battle. I need someone who will love even this wretched man. And I ask you, is there someone? 
Is there someone like that? Is there someone, anyone, that we can call upon when we're losing the battle in life? Our last verse, Paul says, I thank God. I thank God because it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is Jesus Christ our Lord. That is our deliverer. Now Paul could have said, I thank God because it's Jesus. Amen. He also could have said, I thank God because it is Christ who delivers me. Amen. He also could have just simply said, I give thanks to God because it's the Lord who comes to my side and helps me in time of need. All those words would have been perfect. But Paul uses this full name, if you will, Jesus Christ our Lord. Because these words fully encompass all that Jesus is. He is Jesus. That is his saving name. He is the Christ. That is his divine name. And he is the Lord. That is his sovereign name. And I call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who helps us to win in times of battle. You will find, Christian, that when you are entering into a battle and you just don't know how to win through it, by calling on the name of Jesus you will find that he comes to you in time of need and gives you the strength that you don't have. In your weakness, the power of God is perfect working in that weakness. And if you will call upon Jesus, you will find situation by situation, moment by moment, step by step, day by day, there is one victory after another, after another, after another. Jesus will help you in time of need. You can't do it yourself. You will not find out how to do it on your own. You must call upon Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Jesus isn't finished either because we're going to battle with sin until we breathe our last breath. And then one day as we find out at the end of Romans chapter 8, the Lord will come back again. And he's going to give you a brand new body and glorify you. And the new body that you receive will know no sin. And it will be at that moment where the presence of sin is no more. Not in your mind, not in your heart, not in your members. The day that you are glorified in Christ, the battle is done and finished. And we stand with Jesus. Jesus Christ our Lord is the one we must depend on every day. Now let's just end, end it like that. Wouldn't that be great? Jesus Christ our Lord, and we can come up here and sing a, a happy song about Jesus Christ our Lord, and we can clap and shout, and that would be good. But Paul has one more thing to say. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he says, so then, with my mind, I serve the law of God. And with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. In other words, back to the battle we go. Back into that battlefield we go where it's war against spirit and flesh. It does not end. The moment you get up 
and you walk out those doors, you are walking into the battlefield. But now Paul encourages us to remember you're not alone in the battle. There is one who's called Lord, who stands beside you, the captain of our battle, the, ones who, the one who wins our battles in life. He stands with us, and the Spirit of God indwells us. And that's what chapter 8 is going to be all about. So today, musicians, would you come? Today, let me just say to all of you, Christians, you are in a battle. I know that because that's what God says. And I know that because I, just like you, know what it's like to suffer and to battle and to fight this sin every day. And I know sometimes we win some and then we lose some. And it's a battle. But number one, don't ever forget who God says you are. A child of God. Saved. You belong to Jesus Christ. And don't ever forget in your trial and battle and time of need, call upon the one. Call upon the one who is faithful and can deliver us. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. And if we could sing that wonderful hymn again, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And as we sing, let's just give thanks to the Lord. Oh, thank God. It is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's come to the Lord and worship. Amen.